the posture, the, the breathing, sound of silence, the way it is, the Buddha seeing the Dhamma. Recognize that consciousness is knowing, isn't it? To be conscious is a kind of knowing. So, human birth is the experience of knowing. The refuge in Buddha, then, is the knowing of the way it is. So we, the mind is reflective mind. Uh, with mindfulness, we we are in the place where universal intelligence operates. We're not just operating out of conditioned knowledge. The conditioned learning is what's instilled into the mind, so that it, we, these are not conditioned knowledge, your thoughts, language itself, the language, the thoughts, the, the memories you have, the images of yourself in the world, all these are conditions conditioned by life experience, by ignorance, by greed, hatred, and delusion. So with mindfulness, you're, you're going back to the source, to the universal wisdom, knowledge, purity. That's never, you've never been separate from, it's just we forget it because we become attached to the conditions, the body. We become attached to the uh, feelings, thoughts, <coughs> memories, opinions, views, prejudices. So that attachment to the conditions We never, if we don't question, if we don't investigate that attachment, then of course we just, it's, it's what we're used to, what we've become used to is being attached to things. And so that's, that's the, the habits of our life. That's the sangsara, the cycles, endless cycles of going around and around with the same habits. As you get older, it gets worse. If you don't, if you make no effort to understand life, then as you get older, you become more deeply entrenched in the old habits. Much harder to break up, to relinquish. The youth does have advantages, in fact, that the habits aren't so, so deep. As you get older, they get like deep ruts. 
that's so deep sometimes that you're so deep inside a rut you can't see any way out of it. The Buddha phrased his teaching in a way that it was was trying to be a very skillful way of pointing at truth, because they have a tendency of a human being is to attach to teachings as truth. So he he didn't proclaim any kind of metaphysical. Uh, doctrinal positions about the ultimate meaning of life or the or the uh, ultimate reality as as he didn't didn't speculate on the nature of ultimate reality he pointed to existential experience such as suffering this is uh, what we all share as existing beings and we are brothers and sisters in old age sickness death grief sorrow despair and anguish in Thailand that's a that's a reasonable way to ad- address a congregation Brothers and sisters in old age, sickness, and death. Sounds strange to us, doesn't it? Because we don't think like that. We think we want to be more positive, like brothers and sisters in truth and love, or something like that. Which is also true, but old age, sickness, and death are are what we all share, what we all have to experience within this life. Every one of us, no one's going to get out of it. So this brings we have a common ground. Uh, we have differences in regards to everything else, but in the, these, this experience of old age, sickness, and death, we all have this, we all share this, everyone, everywhere. Rich, poor, privileged, underprivileged, first, second, and third worlds. Primitive and backward and Civilized, advanced, degenerate, saintly, enlightened beings, or or hopelessly ignorant beings, we all share this experience of old age, sickness, and death. So it's pointing to an existential truth that there is suffering. This is. This is a common experience 
that rose, runs through all human, human beings. So this, this suffering is to be understood, and through understanding then there is the realization of no suffering. Because there is no metaphysical uh, dogmas, therefore Buddhism uh, tends to be suspect by others as not being a religion, as having no transcendent aim. Existentialism of the modern time uh, tended to be merely uh, a privative teaching. It offered no transcendent possibilities. But Buddha Dhamma is a transcendent teaching. It's for direct realization of deathlessness. each one for themselves. It's to realize that it's something you have to realize yourself. It's, it's not a belief. You're not just believing that there's an afterlife or an etern- a land of eternal bliss or uh, immortality. Uh, in the Theravada school, we, we avoid these kind of concepts because the whole thrust of the Four Noble Truth is, is that direct realization of, of truth, of deathless reality, which is ineffable. And therefore, when you, when you form a dogma about it, it you, you tend to uh, encourage grasping to dogma, to, some, to, to a form, to a belief. And the Four Noble Truths are, are not, not beliefs, but truths to be investigated, to be understood, to be realized. The three uh, characteristics, Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta, these are, co- these are a way of bringing into your consciousness characteristics that are common to everything. The Buddha made his teaching very wide so that it, it, was, it encompasses absolutely everything. It's uh, every, every condition, every possible condition is impermanent, is anicca. That includes the, the subtle to the coarse, the good, the bad. Every, everything, if you contemplate the nature of conditioning and of the created, and the born, the originated, all of that you see is, is, is logical, isn't it? That if it begins, it ends. Can you think of anything that begins that doesn't end? 
that something that has a beginning it, uh, must have an ending, birth and then death. So this is this is an obvious truth. It's a characteristic common to all conditions. You say sape sankara nicha. All conditions are impermanent. So in that way, you're 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 using wisdom you're, because that's that's and that's a truth. That's the way it is. So you're you're contemplating something that's really true, not just speculative or theoretical or possible. But that's that's a truth, not to be grasped as a as a as a truth in it, as a sentence itself, but to be investigated. In vipassana, meditation, you're, you're investigating, looking into this anicca, so that it's not merely parroting uh, the teacher or uh, taking something out of a book and believing it, but you're, you're, you, you know this through through reflecting and observing the way it is. This includes Buddhism, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, all cults, all traditions, uh, all the angels, all the devils, everything that is created dies, ceases. So in this way, you've got a perspective on everything, in, including Theravada, Buddhism, uh, all, you know, the profane, the sacred, every, every possibility, every type, every thing is impermanent. And that includes every thought, every feeling, every view, every everything about yourself, so that you're you're applying it just to seeing the impermanence of of thinking, of feeling, of pleasure and pain, of sound, sight, smell, taste, touch. Now, if you really investigate anicca, then then the then the insight comes. It's a it's a like what they call satori or under a, a profound understanding of reality, not just a conditioned grasping of a condition about reality. Uh, ignorance, not knowing anything, just uh, operating out of the force of habit, people don't, uh, even though they, they might, oh, well, of course, everything's impermanent, so what? Uh, it's, uh, it's a dismissal of it, isn't it? That's not an investigation. You're not really looking and, and noticing, watching uh, the truth. You're, you're just 
you just think you understand it because you you uh, say it seems reasonable enough it's okay so everything's impermanent but the that you still haven't had the insight insight comes through through a, a continuous kind of determination to see a Nietzsche rather than to make a lot about the qualities of the conditions the conditioned realm has is has all is all has all these qualities variations there some are important some are urgent some are uh, very very important some are essential some are necessary some are trivial some are totally irrelevant to anything some are ridiculous absurd so we we tend to res- react to the quality of the conditioned realm if it's urgent important then if it's trivial if it's foolish if it's beautiful then we then we want it if it's ugly we want to get rid of it if it's if it's pleasing and and calming to us we want more of it if it's irritating and frustrating we want to get rid of it if it's true or if it's false right or wrong good or bad there we react to the quality and therefore we we fail to see the 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 anicca of the conditioned world when we're just caught in the reactions to the qualities of the conditions so in vipassana meditation you're you're it's like standing back and looking at the nature of conditioning no matter what it is how urgent how important or how absurd or trivial foolish it might be as a quality as a condition they're all impermanent now that that that's that gives you perspective doesn't it if you're just reacting to the qualities of the conditions you get no perspective because you're just you you're caught up you're 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 grasping the quality you're making a lot out of it you have no cool perspective no vision on it so that the nibbana is that as the goal for the buddhist is the cool detached non-attached awareness of the way it is now detachment or non-attachment purity doesn't these words as we mean oftentimes we take them as being uh, kind of cold and uh, analytical and not really uh, caring about anything if we're if we're detached or non-attached or 
cool about things. Distant means we're aloof and we don't we don't want to get involved in anything. We don't care about things. We don't want to feel anything. We don't want to feel the qualities of anything. We just want to stand back and say they're all a Nietzsche. So you know, we hear about the somebody uh, ha- with some uh, dreadful disease, a Nietzsche. Just see it as a Nietzsche. And uh, don't attach to it. And uh, in Buddhist monasteries sometimes you, you get people who are trying to be detached become quite callous. Don't attach to anything. Somebody's going through some kind of emotional trauma and say, just don't attach to it. (laughs) (laughs) So it becomes a detachment or non-attachment. It doesn't sound like uh, shut up or (laughs) don't don't dump your troubles onto me, or uh, it's you know just dismissing a kind of ins- insensitivity and dismissal. But that's not what we mean by non-attachment or pur- purity. And non-attachment don't uh, prevent compassion. There's no obstacle to compassion in Nibbāna. So, in, when the mind is free from, from attachments, then there is, then the, the response to life, to the suffering of others, is compassion, not shut up. I don't care, I'm just, just it, everything is impermanent. These two actors notice that there's in when we use language, we have to be careful about it because we we tend to take a position with concepts. For example, if you're if you're uh, if you're grasping the idea of purity, then you tend to lack compassion. People that grasp purity tend to become hard-hearted because we we want to protect our purity, so we have to kind of uh, build a wall around ourselves. Don't contaminate me. Keep everything away. Any any threatening, impure thing that might hang around, you should try try to get away from it. you find religious cults that stress purity uh, tend to be very exclusive, very rigid, because they they uh, they're trying to protect the purity of their way of life, make sure that no one comes in and and weakens the the situation or causes any forms of impurity to to enter the the community.
I've seen this uh, in myself, uh, being very, like in my early years of monastic life, being very strict and trying to, to maintain this purity of the discipline, uh, strictness, and keeping to the rules precisely, and, and then feeling that, that any, any adaptation or any kind of uh, giving in to anything other than the most rigid interpretation of the rules was weakness and impurity. So then the result of that was a kind of fear and, and a looking down on others. One became a kind of disciplined snob. He looked, he saw anyone who wasn't, didn't, didn't live up to the, such a high standard as you were holding was somehow inferior. But that suffering, to, to have to think like that, to have to defend your purity all the time and protect it, and, and uh, you become paranoid. But yet purity is, 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 a, is our way of life also. We're not, try, we're not saying purity isn't important. But purity uh, as a fixed position, as an attachment, when we attach to the ideal of purity, then we become rigid and fixed in, in, the, in that position. And say the opposite attachment, where we must be compassionate and loving to everything, all sentient beings. So then, if we attach to that, then we tend to go to the opposite extreme. Meta practice and compassion and love and all this, we, be, we, 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 put, we attach to that as a view then we tend to go over the top in regards to how we, we act, what we do with other people. We have no, we, we think it's better to, to just be compassionate and help people and give ourselves to people and, and nourish people and, and serve people and and do everything we can in every way, give ourselves to, to humanity as an ideal. But then we tend to either, everything, our discipline falls away, we, we, uh, we have no, we, we burn out, we wear ourselves down, uh, we get ourselves involved emotionally, caught up in into the endless uh, emotional problems and, and the uh, difficulties of the people around us and the society we're in. But when we recognize the relationship of purity with compassion, then, we, then there's wisdom. that we, there's a static and dynamic relationship. We're not taking sides on, 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 on taking sides on the active 
against the passive, or the passive against the active, we realize there's complementarity, that it's that one doesn't cancel out the other, that the truth is is whole and complete, so it's everything, and so there's possibility there's infinite possibility, and wisdom allows us to to respond, but also to not respond, to be able to to be and to do according to uh, wisdom and what is when the mind is is freed from obstacles, then it it responds appropriately to the experiences of life, but isn't taking a position fixed view of being pure or being compassionate. Because these these tend to become self-views, my purity or my compassion. So in, in uh, wisdom, then there's also faith, being able to trust, have confidence in Dhamma, Buddha Dhamma Sangha, in which we can not we don't we no longer feel the compulsion that we have to do something or save everybody or or protect our purity or worry about our purity or or feel that we have to go around uh, helping everyone all the time there's a sense of composure and trust ability to wait ability to act according to time and place. Just contemplating the static and dynamic. Well, oftentimes we, dynamic means something very good, usually it has a more positive meaning, I think, in modern Understanding if it's if she or he is dynamic, that's a compliment. A dynamic personality, a real go-getter, is always supposed to be a compliment. If you say he or she's static, it's kind of an insult. They're fixed and they're rigid. They. They they can't adapt or change or anything. Or they can't adapt to change. But maybe that's a relationship. Maybe they're complementary rather than polarized. The static and the dynamic. Masculinity is has a more static quality to it. The male tendencies are more towards fixity and being static, holding to views, holding to ideas, ideals, standards. Feminine more dynamic. But then these are these can be polarized by taking positions. 
that one is better than the other or that one is one and not the other or one can see these are complements that this is the way it is these forces we experience and they they support and help each other they're they're complementary rather than competitive now then that's a transcendent reflection you're, you're, there's wisdom in operating in which we see see them as objects and can reflect on them and the, the relationship rather than judging them and, and choosing one over the other as somehow better than the other one. Because if we were simplistic, when we say men are static and women dynamic, <laughs> that's not <laughs> that's kind of simplistic and foolish uh, 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 logic that that one can uh, spurious logic. But these are we're noticing these are that we have these conditions affecting our mind. The, the male condition affects the mind, the male karma, the body of a, of a man, the, the way it operates affects the mind. The female condition, the body of a woman affects the mind in a certain way. But transcending that, then there is, then is, there is the, the purity of being, which is, which is not the male or the female, the static or dynamic or anything, any inequality, and that's where we, what we mean by the Buddha seeing the Dhamma. Through mindfulness, we're in the we are abiding in transcendent wisdom, knowledge rather than being attached to the conditions, the identities that we might be experiencing uh, as, as the arising and ceasing that affect us, that uh, come into our consciousness. They with ideals. They attach it to an ideal is a static thing, isn't it? Idealism is a kind of is, is, ideals are fixed. If you have an ideal, it doesn't it doesn't have any uh, dynamic quality. It's merely um, something that is fixed in the mind. So when we attach to an ideal. Uh, then we 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 lose that our sensitivity, our intuitive abilities don't 
are are suppressed when we're when we're when we have fixed ideas. But yet ideals are very important also. We need to have ideals as guidelines. We need guiding stars. We need we need a direction that is fixed, not changing all the time. We need to have some direction, some some ideal in which we can we can get our bearings that is fixed. But then life's experience we have to deal with with the with the way it is as an experience in an ever-changing uh, uh, realm of sensitivity. And for that we need to develop intuition. We need to trust in being in mindfulness and in, in, in our ability to, to and, and the sensitivity of our life in order to learn from it. If you just if you just gaze at a at a guiding star, uh, you're liable to fall into the ditch when you're walking. You can't see what's in front of you. You can't relate to to the daily life that you have to bear with in in your journey. Because if you're if you're just looking at the star, you you will uh, you will not be able to to uh, survive. So we we have the the direction and the and then the practical daily life experience of learning to of learning how to respond to to this realm that we're in as human beings. So the intuitive mind is where you, you're, you're receptive to the way it is. Right now, say, if you open, if you're intuitive, if your intuitive mind is, is operating, then your sense, you, you feel the mood, you can pick up the way it is. You're sensitive to how others are. You're not just telling them how they should be. But your your mind is much more receptive, and and with the 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 vibrations and the the way it is uh, as an experience here and now. It's immediate, and receptive. Rather, where if we're just being idealistic and say we should all be thinking only pure thoughts, we should be dedicating our lives to the Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, uh, we shouldn't be selfish, and we should work hard, and all like this, these kind of preachy statements, and then these are all the shoulds, but then the way it is, we also need to know, just the, the way things are. 
because each one of us uh, has to bear with the way it is, say, as, as an individual being. We're also being affected by the way others are in community life. We, we have our own minds, our own uh, feelings to, to bear with, but we also have to, we're also being influenced by the people around us. So therefore we need, we need an ideal, we need a goal to keep our direction, but we also, to, to get to that goal, we need to, to be trusting and sensitive and reflective and see that the impermanence and the the way it is, in, in, and begin, not begin to misinterpret the, the, our own feelings and, and uh, sensitivity, or misinterpret the, the way that others affect us. Because if, if seen from a personal view, from the me and mine, then we tend to interpret everything from an egocentric position and uh, how you affect me, how what you do to me, and what I do to you, and how I feel in my view, and and then the, this creates more conflict, more confusion. You just end up, if you've, if you've ever tried living in a community for very long, you, know, you realize how it's very difficult for many people to live together because we, we affect each other very, very much in daily life, our personalities, our moods, our emotions. So that, that sometimes one wishes, well, if I could just get away, go off to a cave, live on a mountaintop, Get away from the from all this. This it's impinging on me. All the people with their emotions, their feelings, their views, their prejudices, their difficulties. But then that's wanting wanting life to to not wanting to to live a life where nothing bothers me or as little as uh, a little frustrating, unpleasant, have as few uh, unpleasant experiences possible. Want to get away to a place where, where nothing will hurt me or offend me. So that's selfish, isn't it? That, that's understandable uh, as, a, as a desire. But as a path to follow, it only, it, it doesn't work. One becomes just attached to tranquility or to to uh, places uh, and and where and to ideas of how things should be. So in community life, one learns how to 
say, being how to accept the way it is, the the ups and downs, the good times and bad times, uh, be able to to not make anything out of it in your mind, to trust in 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 the Buddha Dhamma Sangha as a refuge, and then be able to bear with the 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 flow of life as we experience it. Now doing this, if 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 everyone in a community aim is to do this, eventually you begin to work out the difficulties more and more. Because uh, there's just much more uh, wisdom being used in in than there was, say, in the beginning. People are much more confident in using wisdom to solve the problems of community life than in just following their uh, immediate impulsive reactions. So there is this, this potential in human beings to live as Sangha, to live as one group practicing the Dhamma. This is, this is within the possibility of human, hum, this, is, this is humanly possible. I just want to let you know that. <laughs> because I used to think it was impossible myself. I didn't see how you could possibly human community life always seemed to be so so uh, frustrating. But when you have the people whose goal is the same to realize the truth, we're looking at the same guiding star. We are then. Our direction is going in the, we're going in the same direction. Then we, then the obstacles, the things that we experience on the way are, can be quiet, can be as a group and can also be as individuals. So that this is, this we can, this is, this is part of our, this is our path, our way of, of, of what we must learn. What, what the kind of things that come to us as individuals we we must use as objects for learning for strengthening our practice as a group we the obstacles that come to us as a group are, are the same they're a way of strengthening our practice as a sangha so we're not we're not just working from an ideal and dismissing the 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 realities and practicalities of of sensory experience, nor are we exaggerating and giving too much importance to daily life and sensory experience, but there's that there's a complementary relationship. the ideal and the real and the 
static and dynamic, the forces that affect us, that we have, that we, uh, that affect our, our consciousness, we see, we know, we re- recognize as Dhamma rather than as self. So there is Dhamma, there is no self. This word Dhamma is a, is a very important word to contemplate. And when we talk about anatta, there's no self. There's Dhamma, but there's no self. Now that, say, as a reflection in that purity of knowing, when there's mindfulness and wisdom, that is transcending the self, the body, the, the, the five khandhas. It's not rejecting them, it's not destroying them, but it's, it's a transcendent knowing of the way it is that is deathless, unconditioned, And the only way we, a human being, can realize that is through mindfulness. It's through sati and panya that that is that we realize that ultimate reality. Because if there's no sati, no panya, then we are just helpless victims of our karma, of our habits. We'll just go around with those eternally. Uh, is, is to stress the importance of our of, of the relation of our aim is for total complete enlightenment. to realize the ultimate reality that is that most important because this is what spirituality is all about. We're not here to just, you know, be well-adjusted, happy human beings in a society. That doesn't seem, that's not a transcendent goal. That might be a personal one. I just want to be happy and get along with people and live a comfortable life. But but that is an unsatisfactory goal. Because it we'll have moments like that. One can find happiness and be comfortable for a while, but inevitably uh, those things change. And and uh, we find the ones we love uh, se- being separate, separated from us, and and uh, the motorway going through our beautiful estate, and and uh, all kinds of of uh, pollution and possibilities for uh, disease and and uh, pain and misery 
are part of this so ever are possible within this human condition. So that that this human realm is not our real home. We don't really belong here. This is not where we fit and will ever fi- really be comfortable. So don't don't try to find a place where you really feel at ease and feel perfectly relaxed as a human being, because you won't. It won't last very long. Because this is this is a journey. This is a, a transition that we're involved in from birth to death. It's not. There's no place in it that you can really rest and abide. And so when you, when you contemplate that and realize that, then you, you don't try anymore. You don't try and do hang on to anything whatsoever because you realize there's nothing worth hanging on to. There's no stopping place. There's, no, there's nothing within this, this realm from birth to death worth, worth uh, holding or grasping. So then we, our whole aim is to complete the journey, to realize Nibbana. And we're not, we're not going to let any of the kind of temptations and distractions in, on this journey uh, delude us in any way. <coughs> 